Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Long Island Sound Podcast, where we explore the muse and the music from the North Shore to the South Shore, from New York City to the Hamptons, navigating the wellspring of original music from singer-songwriters and musicians from Long Island, New York. Hi, I'm Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. Stay tuned as we explore the Long Island Sound. Every once in a while, and it really seems rare, the stars line up and you find an artist who's able to combine their day job with their passion as a singer-songwriter. In this episode, you'll meet the talented Anne O'Rourke from the North Fork on the east end of Long Island as she shares her backstory and the songs from her latest album, Love on Our Lips. Have a listen to her original song, These Moments.
Today's guest is a singer-songwriter from the North Fork. I met her through about two degrees of separation, what seems to be the new normal with guest referrals on the podcast. To me, music has always had a healing capability. Whether I needed to lament with the blues, blow off steam with rock and roll, or chill out with some jazz. I see the music therapist's influence in every verse, as her music is a prescription for good loving. I found Anne O'Rourke's music both soothing, honest, and healing. She speaks to me with an honest sensibility and sings about intimate encounters with which all of us can understand. Love on Our Lips is her latest album, and I can't wait to reveal the artist behind the music. Welcome to the Long Island Sound podcast, Anne O'Rourke. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been listening to your music. I had it, I, ha, I actually have an old car with a CD player, which is cool. Uh, and just to give you some, to give our audience some some background, uh, I met um, Anne through um, Rory Kelly and Delaney Hafner, and this is like intertwining. That's where the two degrees of separation. And I was fortunate enough to watch you in a singer songwriter round with Nico Payton, who was another guest. And um, what's the other guy's name? Pete, Pete Mancini. Uh, Pete Mancini, who is yeah. coming up this week, actually. Another great guy. And usually I don't get to meet my guests before him. It was a real pleasure meeting you, seeing you play live, very accomplished, and listening to your music. And I got to tell you this right off the bat. And I'm very honest about music. If I don't like your music, I'll tell you it sucks and we wouldn't have the episode. Your music is really great. And Thank very you so easy, much. very easy to listen to. Just really just kind of very honest. It's just really kind of cool. Anywho, so we heard coming into this episode, these moments. So I, I want to kind of attack that song. Tell me how that came about. We'll talk about your early life and whatever you want to talk about. But tell me a little bit about these moments. So these moments, like many of the other songs that I've written on Love and Our Lips, as well as a lot of other my songs, um, was kind of like born on my bedroom floor, probably late night, like mm -hmm. one or two o'clock in the morning. Um, the story behind these moments is, I, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory for every year, like for three years on my birthday, um, I would throw these very large parties with all of my close friends, both from high school and college. And we would just get together and have an amazing time and make music and go swimming. And, um, and those moments, um, are such a core part of who I am because I love to bring people together, but also like who my friends are because they are such an incredible group of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so the like the tagline that I have for this song is living in the moment and making it beautiful. And so this song, and that's the line of the chorus, and that's the beauty of it all. We get caught up in these moments, living too much to worry, to wonder if we're doing it wrong. Right. I, I, you know, I think one of the great lessons, I actually talked about this on other podcasts, is, is and it's been rambling around my mind for months now of being present to somebody in a moment, you know, just, just like we are now, you know? Um, and that's why I'm very grateful that you're spending time with me is that uh, these are just great opportunities to get to know people. And what I love about singer songwriters like yourself is you uh, open yourself up uh, and are vulnerable 
with your emotions and your thoughts. And you're, you're, you're really, I mean, you're not putting it out there in the moment. You're recording this stuff and putting it out there, which, which is a big deal. Um, and, and I think, and I thank you for that, you know, so it's, there's so many great lessons and maybe that's where the therapist, oh, by the way, people don't know, uh, and is a, uh, certified licensed, a board certified music therapist, board certified musical therapist, which I remember, I remember talking to a friend and acquaintance of yours, Mike Nugent, and Mike is just this great old guy. And, and Mike is just so easygoing. And and his his catchphrase, even when times are tough or he's in a difficult venue or difficult people, he's like, I'm here to heal the world. <laughs> and I and I and I took it initially as and I'm yapping away here, so I apologize. I'm gonna let you talk, really. Is I took it as such a cliche, but it's really not. You know, it music just has this healing power. And I and I really honor you for uh pursuing that as a career. You know, not only entertaining, which heals people as well, but you're actually you're actually healing people, which I think is phenomenal. So uh, thank you. It's an absolute honor to do the work that I do. Um, I work in early childhood and and not only in early childhood, but in music therapy overall, like part of having a humanistic approach to music therapy is meeting people where they are and meeting them in the moment, whether that's in the music, whether that's where they are in their lives, whether that's where they are on their journey and figuring out, you know, what are the next steps? What kind of goals can we take and how can the music support you to get to where you want to be? So for like my young kids that I work with that are, have a neuro, um, neurodivergent like autism or, um, some learning disabilities or, um, just some global delays. Um, a lot of our goals focus on communication, self-expression, turn-taking, also um, socialization, like interacting with their peers, learning about their world and about themselves. So it's such a crucial point in their growth that I get to be a part of. And I love playing with them because that's just really what learning is with these little ones is that we get to play and sing about worms and also sing about our feelings and move our bodies and dance. And so I just, I absolutely love what I do. And I'm, you know, it's interesting as you talk about that, um, I'll tell you a personal story and the connection that I have with it is through my wife is my wife's a, uh, a bus driver and she drives special needs autistic adults, which she calls her kids. And one of the first things she said to us was, hey, I got to get one of those speaker things so I can play music. And I'm like, well, what? She goes, just trust me. And you know what? They sing Disney songs and, you know, uh, 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 people who are challenged, who are nonverbal. Man, it just sets the stage for uh, a really good interaction. And that's, that's just like a personal testimony of, yeah, that's healing. You know, that's 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 therapy in action, you know, that, that she kind of picked up and she's got a great background and you know what her background is? What? 4-H, 4-H camp songs. She has more oh, 4-H camp nice. songs and I guess you have to have a Disney subscription to, you know, really get this down. But, uh, and we have something else in common. We were talking about it before. Let's surprise the person that we know together. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned that I was a music therapist to you and you said, oh yeah, my friend Margie. And um, Margie Labella was actually one of the first music therapists that I found on YouTube when I was starting to collect my repertoire for practicum and fieldwork in college. 
And mm-hmm. so like, I definitely have sung her hello songs with my students before. And like for um, like song shares with my peers and colleagues and also taken those songs and adapted them to better meet my clients' needs. And it's so cool that that's such a small world. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it is a small world. I mean, Marge was the only, you know, music therapist that I ever met in my life, you know, and I was like, okay, that, that's different. I didn't even know that existed. I mean, I didn't either. I yeah. actually didn't really learn about it till I want to say probably my junior or senior year of, of high school. Um, okay. I actually only had found out about it because of uh, a mutual friend of mine was actually pursuing it at Malloy, which is where I ended up going, Malloy College, right on Long Island. And I was sure. like, oh, that sounds cool. But I knew nothing about it. So it's definitely something that's kind of like hidden. But once you find it and if you're the right fit for that, it's – it's such an amazing opportunity and such an honor. You know what I find interesting uh, of musicians, whether it's musicians going out gigging, who um, and there, there, there are a couple of different silos of people. There are people who they jump in the pool and they're a professional musician and they got the right breaks. They have the right talent. Uh, you know, it's kismet. I don't know. And they jump into it. OK. And then there's the majority of people that, you know, I've got my day job. And uh, I do this on the side. I really love doing this, uh, but the other one pays the bills. It's kind of like podcasting for me. You know, this pays no no bills for me, just so you know. And I'm looking for sponsors, so I got to throw a plug in there. But I love doing this. And it's interesting that you're able to cross both worlds, you know, together. How do you do it? Uh, a lot of willpower. <laughs> Oh, don't tell me um, you're one of these. You're one of these fierce ladies because I ran into a fierce lady with Rory Kelly. She scared the hell out of me. <laughs> no, I mean Rory. Rory Kelly is an idol of mine. The work that she does, <laughs> the work that Nico does, like they have taught me so much. There's actually this like group chat that we're, we're all a part of um, called like Lady Beasts, and I have just learned so much. Not only as like a, a singer and like uh, entrepreneur, like selling my music, my business, uh, mm-hmm. but also just like. There's, there's such a network of amazingly talented women that Nico and Rory know that I am just so grateful to now know, like um, Lorianne Creus and uh, Karen Bella and um, I, the list can go on and on. Sarah Gross, Delaney Hafner. And oh, yeah, I, Delaney. Um, she was a guest. Nice. Uh, and yes, for the new record, which I'm actually um, – I sing harmonies on because I'm in her band <laughs> Nice. So we'll, we'll get into the bell curves in, in, in a little bit. Why don't we do this? Let's take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk about, and, and before we take a break, just so audience knows, we do chapter marks. So everyone, as you rapid fire the machine gun list of names that I'm going to have to listen to and decipher in, in, in post, is uh, I will provide uh, chapter uh, links to websites and photos of the people so that if you have an interest or a connection with those people, uh, you'll be able to see that on the podcast. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk about the bell curves. Let's talk about your new music. And then we got to go back in time and talk about how you, how you started all this stuff, because that really kind of interests me. Hey, we'll be right back, everybody. Hi, Steve Yusko from Gig Destiny here. Well, as you're probably listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking about that musician who would make a fantastic guest here on the Long Island Sound. But we'd like to hear their story. We'd like to hear their music. So have them reach out to us at gigdestiny.com and we'll explore their craft. Now, back to our podcast. 
Hey, everybody. We're back with Ann O'Rourke. Uh, and uh, just took a little short break, and we're start yapping away. And uh, as I said, there were two degrees of separation. We had uh, Nico Payton, who was a guest. We had Delaney Hafner that was a guest. Who else? Rory Kelly, who brought me everybody. So you have all these connections with them. Tell me about the bell curves, how that came about. I know you've played on other albums. So tell me about those connections. Um, I believe I actually met Delaney probably formally for the first time at a Mount Sinai singer-songwriter showcase, which was actually um, run by the late Patrick Duffy. And he put together such a great selection of local singer-songwriters. And I had met her, I want to say like August of 2019. And around that time, I was going to a couple open mics very frequently. And we had met and I said, hey, like, let's go to this open mic. Um, I go there all the time. I think you're really going to like it. And so she came by shortly after and she heard me sing a stave song with my friend Samantha Monteleone and uh, Devin Wansigal. And right afterwards, I think she heard me sing and she told me after the fact, she's like, I heard you. And I was like, I'm going to make her my best friend. <laughs> um, and nice. so, and we've pretty much been like inseparable ever since. Um, I started joining her rehearsals and learning all of her repertoire, probably like late 2019 or early 2020 before the pandemic. We okay. played a couple shows together as a trio with her and her dad, um, Bill Hafner, who you know, as well as with a couple uh, different drummers that are local. Um, we often play with Nick Malzano, um, who's part of the local Whaley band, and he did Abandoned Ship, and he's like, we call him Long Island's drummer, um, mm-hmm. as well as um, Al, I'm going to hopefully say his last name right, Chris Golo, who... Um, plays for the Rust Kickers, Finn and his Rust Kickers, which is a band that Bill's a part of. So gotcha. we have some rotating drummers. We played like Velvet Lounge, which unfortunately isn't really around. Oh, yeah, that's the one that used to talk it, right? Yeah. It was like a staple for original music. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, there are, unfortunately, at least, and I'm new at really getting into the, the industry here on Long Island, there, you know, hopefully more venue owners really get to appreciate what can bring to their establishment and supporting um, live music, you know, and I know Stephen Beery's uh, Mr. Beery's place uh, where we met. And uh, there's a, a small um, uh, place here in Babylon village called Bartini that does a lot of live music as well. And I have to get out more East by your end, you know, now that traffic's increasing. <laughs> you got to go before it gets worse. <laughs> I, I know exactly. I'm going to have to take a helicopter or a balloon ride out, out by you, but um there's a lot of great stuff. A lot of great wineries. For those who don't know, the east, the east and north fork is is wine country. So a lot of people will, you know, play the wine country out there and stuff like that. There's um, it's a new brewery out there by uh, the uh, Water Drinker Farm. I don't know if you've played played there yet. Great place. I haven't played Actually, there yet, but it is a really great spot. I think it's the Farm Brewery at the Water farm, Drinker. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Farm Brewery. Uh, I did the fire alarm there. So plug for them. So it's a nice. very safe place. <laughs> All right, let's 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 reel back a little bit. I know you probably covered this in other places. Uh, I'm always interested in the foundation that a singer songwriter finds himself in. Uh, you know, when did you pick up an instrument, or were you very young, just high school? Where did it really kick in for you? 
If you ask my mom, I think I've probably been singing since I could talk. Wow. Okay. Um, I started to play the violin when I was six, like five turning six. I was enrolled in a Suzuki program and I learned to play violin by ear. So I was listening to the notes all the time, listening to the music, memorizing it, figuring out where my fingers were supposed to go. Um, I played for, I guess, until like fourth or fifth grade. So I played for a couple of years. And actually during that time, I the 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 instructor that I was seeing, um, he had a connection with Carnegie Hall. And so my brother and I actually played um, a Suzuki performance concert with a bunch of other young children and young violinists in Carnegie Hall when I was like Get nine. Yeah. Really? That is cool. My mom probably you know, has the program saved somewhere. <laughs> all right. I, I, I trust I trust that you were really there. That That's amazing. I think the violin is, is probably – the, one of the most difficult instruments to tackle. Actually, I think Pete Mancini studied the violin as well as a young, as a young man and then uh, gravitated towards uh, guitar. So, so, all right. So, man, man, you, oh, I'm so envious. So you had that early ear training because you need ear training to understand where you are and pitch and stuff like that. I was 45 when I trained my ears, so uh, very late in life. <laughs> There's no, there's no set age. You can learn it at any time. It's just, there's just that at my age there's regret. So I got that going for me. <laughs> I wish I did it a lot earlier. I, I played piano and, and was, you know, didn't woodshed it as they say. And it was torturous to my piano. Poor Miss Wallace. God rest no. her soul. <laughs> anyway, we won't get into that. That's another podcast episode. So, so now you've got it down. You've got the ear down. When did you move to guitar? Like when you were a teenager? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of moved back into like dance and like I did some of the plays when I was in elementary school and middle school. And I was about 14 when I started to pick up the guitar for the first time. My guitar teacher, Mark LaRosa, um, he would come to my house and we'd sit in the living room and he eventually somehow found out that I had written poetry and that I could sing. And he's like, oh, well, now you play guitar, so you're going to write songs, right? And so um, shortly after, like, I think I started playing in the summer. And by October, I had come from home from school one day. And I, I, I don't know how I had never just, like, sat down and listened to them. But I listened to the Beatles probably for a couple hours, like, back to back to back. And mm-hmm. I then sat down and wrote my very first song after listening to a bunch of like classic Beatles. <laughs> That's great. I think it's so key. It's interesting. Sometimes it just takes an invitation to say, I believe you can do this. And, and, and to have your teacher recognize that, and it may have been just a passing statement, but you grabbed onto it, which is kind of cool. Same thing happened to me. I was, I, you know, I picked up, I've said this before. I, I played the same three chords. I was lousy at it. And my friend Kevin invited me over. Hey, I'm playing with a bunch of guys in Oakdale, you know, in, in our shed in the back, which is a music room. And I'm like, okay. I went there. I was horrified by the way I played. But then I was inspired because he said, you can do this. He actually said I was pretty good. I think he was lying. But I decided to put the uh, pedal to the metal and, uh, you know, grind it out. You know, so it, it's, it, thank God for those kind of influences on, on our life, you know. That's, that's great. So how is it? I've always had difficulty early on playing and singing at the same time, like accompanying myself. How was that for you? Um, I mean, as you know, I mean, guitar takes a lot of muscle memory. 
Um, it definitely started by, like, I wasn't formally trained. Uh, a lot of the songs that Mark and I worked on when I was a teenager were just, like, songs that I heard on the radio. Or he would, like, bring in a bunch of these, like, mixed CDs, and we'd play it in the CD player, and then we'd go through the song, and he'd put out all, like, the chord charts, and he'd tell me what the progressions were, and I'd practice. And, um, you know, eventually that turned from songs that we were listening to, to songs that I had written and we were figuring out like what order I was going to put it on, on this like burn CD that I was making for my friends. I think one year I, I actually burned about like a hundred CDs for all of my friends in uh, high school. Um, very, very self-made before I even, <laughs> you know, started actually really recording. But, um, it definitely what really, really helped was when uh, shortly after I started playing guitar, I joined my um, my local church's um, folk group. And so it was really through um, my mentors and the music ministers that I really got comfortable singing in front of people and eventually mm -hmm. then singing and playing guitar at the same time um, shortly. I, I think I definitely volunteered there doing like teen masses and special events and like the weekly masses and just learning repertoire and trying it out in my hand and like trying to figure out like playing guitar at the same time. Like I remember them setting me up in the back, like sometimes not even plugged in, just like practicing <laughs> being like on, on in front of an audience. And sometimes like it would be 300 people depending on what weekend in the summer. I mean, I, you know, North Fork, everybody's out there for their, for their vacation. Um, yep. And eventually I actually took on a leader of song role. So for another five years up until kind of recently, so from like mid-college to adult life, um, yeah. I was actually running my own mass and teaching people music. And so that definitely had a big hand in my um, stage fright. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I had, a, I had a similar experience and in, in – I assume it's a Catholic church because you said mass, right? Yeah. Is that you have like these guardrails on what you can do. What was really kind of pounded into us, which was true, was, look, you're there to uh, encourage uh, praise and worship music from the congregation to join you. It's not a, quote, performance per se, or you're not the star of the show type of thing. And we and we ran into those difficulties where they're, you run into divas once in a while. And uh, it was interesting uh, and I found myself in that role, but I found myself all of a sudden, you know, in church, I'm singing, you know, um, hallelujah. And, <laughs> you know, it, the different versions for Christmas and, and Easter by myself. And I look back and go, I can't believe I did that. You know, it was, it was, it was interesting, but it kind of gets you out of your comfort zone and gives you some, oh yeah, I can tackle that. And, and all you need is a couple of people say, Hey, that was great. And then, then you're off to the races, you know, you're kind of running on it. So. I think right, for cool. me it was definitely um, – I don't know if you're familiar with the Easter Vigil, but there's one reading that gets completely sung from start yeah, to finish. Yeah, I used to be a deacon in the Catholic Church. I'm very familiar with Oh, so with you know what – you're talking about the Exodus. Um, <laughs> I sang it from start to finish, and that's how I like kind of definitely yeah. – that, Yeah, that was my deep end was singing um, the, the, the reading sung from start to finish um, at Easter Vigil Mass. And then from, from there, I, and as you were saying, like being with the congregation, like that was actually one of the coolest parts about getting my background in um, music was that so much of the music I would use for mass, I would be transposing, I would be adapting so that everybody in the congregation could sing with me. So I've always right. kind of like had that in the background of being adaptable. 
All right, so I'm going to jump into a left field thing, but we did um, we did Bob Dylan's, and there was some controversy with people as far as popular songs, right? And we did uh, Bob Dylan's "Make You Feel My Love," and we did it as a prelude to Mass, so we wouldn't get in trouble, <laughs> basically. And what was interesting about that particular song, not to get on the pulpit here, but if you listen to the lyrics and you type Jesus Christ or Christ into it, who else could love you for a million years? Who crawled down the avenue uh, in his passion uh, to the cross, that sort of thing. So I would actually explain that a little bit to give people context so they didn't, you know, so I was covering my ass because I didn't want, hey, they're doing Adele. (laughs) <laughs> you know, at mass, what's really crazy, but it was, it was very fulfilling. And I, I always look to a popular music uh, besides K love music type of thing, you know, which can be anthem type stuff. And, and it, 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 you had to be in the guardrails. I'll leave it at that. And, and it was challenging and freeing at the same time. If that, if that kind of makes sense, you know, absolutely. Anywho, okay. I, so I, let me just check this off. Steve Yusko got on the pulpit. Very good during the episode. So we got that going for us today. <laughs> this is supposed to be about you. Okay. He's <laughs> supposed to do some more talking. Just cut, feel free to cut me off in anytime. Hey, let's talk about the first, the second song we're going to hear, um, Solid Ground. Tell me a little bit about that. And then we'll jump right into the song and let the audience hear. Sure. Sounds great. So Solid Ground is actually like kind of like a revisiting of a song I had written in those early years when I had first started to pick up the guitar. There was a song I had written, I think probably 2011, 2012, called Carousel Ride. And I had written it about that feeling of trying to fit in with your peers at that age. I mean, that's such a vulnerable age to be in and everything's changing. And I had written about like I went round and round waiting for someone to lift me off the ground because like then you could be a part of something. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so I wrote that song in like 2011, 2012, and then it kind of just like sat there for a while. And a couple years ago, I was going through the process of healing from a relationship and that picking pattern that you'll hear throughout the entirety of the piece is actually the opening riff to Carousel Ride. And I sort of elaborated deeper and more intimately on that idea of kind of like an emotional ride that you're going through that honestly, I mean, if you ever have been in a breakup you really want to get off, but like sometimes you can't. Um, and so that's where the, the the tagline at the end comes in. I went round and round waiting for solid ground. And it was it was funny when we were recording it and, you know, we started that um, that round that you'll hear at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill even said to me in the studio, he's like, I think that went on for a little bit too long, right? I was like, no, you got to let it keep going because the audience, I feel like, even has to feel like they're kind of tired of it because that's the feeling that I was trying to evoke of like, you know, like you want to get off and sometimes it's like you can't, you can't, right. get, you can't let it go. You can't really move on. So featuring in that piece um, is actually my entire catalog of, of vocalists and harmonizers that I usually love to sing with. Um, Anne Crean, Sam Monteleone, um, Devin Monsigal, Delaney Hafner. Um, and they sing with me all the time. Like I have written harmonies with Anne Crean in her backyard when we first like started to become friends in college. Oh, nice. So these are like my core, like group of singers that I really enjoy. They're your peeps. They're your yeah. the the Anna Rock Corral, so to speak. So, <laughs> and so the so solid ground is um, 
it's just, again, it's that healing. It's wanting to get off the ride, but also at the same time asking a lot of questions. And if you listen really closely at the very end of the piece, you'll actually hear a carousel. And I went out to Greenport and asked the tendant there if I could record um, some of the classic carousel music. So that is actually a clip from my phone that you'll hear at the very, very end of the Greenport carousel. All right. Wonderful. All right, everybody. Let's take a listen to Solid Ground. We'll be right back after that.
hey, we're back, everybody. Solid ground. Great. I love the idea about the carousel. And it actually had me reminisce about Jolly Rogers and Levittown and the carousel we used to ride on when we were kids. <laughs> I think that was the only, I was so short, that was the only ride I could go on, I think. Could get on the bumper cars. So let me, let me ask you this. How does the muse strike you? What's, what's your process in, in songwriting? You said you were like at two in the morning, you're on the floor of your bedroom, you know, doing one aspect. What, what's your process? How do, you, how do you pull things together and is it different every time? Uh, it's definitely different every time. Um, songs that a, a lot of uh, the songs that I write are my catharsis. Uh, if you haven't noted noticed, like it's a lot of just like stream of thought and um, you know getting to the root of some of you know some of the challenges that I'm facing or some of the relationships and um, you know struggles that I'm going through and using the music itself to like almost like give myself advice the advice that I want to give myself, but sometimes I'm not even ready for. So, so you're, treating, you're treating yourself with your own therapy. I mean, songwriting is definitely a method of, of, of therapy and it's definitely a outlet that I use um, dearly to, you know, handle uh, things that come up and feelings that I have. And I know one of the like uh, catch lines that I try and like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shifting the narrative into something positive. So I know like when I was younger, if there was going through a really hard time, my mom would be like, well, how do you make it positive? You know, how do you get out of it? And right. so there's a, there's a trend in all of my songs that even if they're, you know, in the moment and maybe they're sad or maybe they're scared or, you know, maybe they're confused that I always try and think, well, what comes next? So, um, and sometimes that takes like an hour on my bedroom floor. And sometimes that takes like a couple weeks of making voice memos that I just keep singing over and over again. Uh, sometimes it's the words first. Sometimes it's the chords first. I know when I was first starting to songwrite in college, like I, I think I wrote probably about 14 or 15 songs just in my freshman year of college. Mm. Um, I was just constantly writing. And I remember for a time I really wanted like a different chord or something different about each song and it's really kind of only come with time that um, the songs have been a bit more standard as far as um, chord progression and which kind of shifts the focus less to what chord am I going to do next and more of like, well, where's the story going to go? So I definitely have noticed in the last couple of years that my shift has really been on the story and on the emotion and on the um, letting go of a lot mm. of the stuff that I've been going through. Let me ask you this, and this might be a left field question. Do you, do your songs come to you in an audible fashion or a visual fashion? Surprisingly for a musician, I think a lot of my thinking is visual. Um, okay. I do really like picture what the chords look like in my hands. I'm picturing what the neck of the guitar, like where my fingers are going. Um, I visualize a lot of my notes. Like if you're I, Delaney and I, when we're figuring out harmonies or even like Delaney and Sam, like that when they're sitting there and they're like figuring out their harmonies, they're talking about solfege. They're talking about, you know, like what the interval is. And yeah, like, yeah, I did all of that training in college and there's like a part of me that definitely understands it to some degree, but so mm -hmm. much of like my musical thinking is done visually, uh, whether, and like by like feel like, where is this note? How does that note feel? Like, where does this note feel? Um, so it's definitely like by sense and also by 
like tactile sense and feeling sense, but also mm-hmm. by definitely by visual. I write everything down. That's it. I would I would not have suspected that answer. I don't know where that came from. I wrote it down earlier this afternoon. I was just thinking about how, how do you come how do you come across it? What's interesting, and particularly about the song we just heard, is that feeling that you put together of how you want your audience to feel. It's interesting, you know, about you know you want them to be tired of the round that they can't get out. It's 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 an interesting perspective from a singer songwriter because I found of the people that I've interviewed singer songwriters a lot of it is hey you know maybe they they don't write in the first person they create a scene and it's totally up to your interpretation but you kind of twist it around in that no 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 this is purposeful this is how this is what I want my audience to feel from that it's 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 an interesting tactic um it's refreshing to be honest with you because I've never heard that before so that's kind of cool you know thanks so um are you a sole practitioner um do you have everything kind of formatted out when you go into the studio I mean or is it all different ways I've been writing songs. I have actually almost a hundred written at this time. I think I'm on like number ninety six right now that I just finished a couple weeks ago. And you're only like seventeen years old, so wow. That's no, amazing. I'm twenty six, but yeah, <laughs> thank you. I have been playing for twelve years, and I have almost a hundred songs, so I'm very proud of that. That is um, that's a big deal. I have always wanted to record, but it really wasn't until 2017 when I met. Uh, Kirsten Maxwell and Carly Redini, who goes by the name Car Aster. They're out kind of based like in Centerport and Huntington. I actually met them through the um, Huntington, um, the uh, Folk Music Alliance. Um, And I met them at an open mic, actually Vox Populi, when it was back at the rail in Smithtown. And then it was at Tap and Barrel. And both of those places don't exist anymore. But Mm. um, they met me and they were like, we want to work with you. Uh, which felt really cool because it's Kirsten Maxwell and Carly Rodini. And I'm just like, whoa, wait, what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great. So we ended up like, and I don't know if you saw that, but in my, my box, um, the first record it's self-titled. It's I'm really bad with coming up with creative names. So it was just my (laughs) name. And uh, we had actually made that EP in Carly's basement with all of her sound equipment and making a acoustic, like singer songwriter vocal heavy record um so it was Mm. a lot of harmonies it was a lot of layered sounds and guitars and um very simple very straightforward but that was like my first ever experience and i hadn't really like like i said i burned cds when i was in high school but i had never had an opportunity or you know maybe had was like ready to learn about you know, this is how you use like a a microphone and you plug it into your computer. And like, you have like, there's like so much of that. I don't understand, which is why, like, I, I was really thankful for people like Kirsten Maxwell and Carly Rodini. And then like for these moments, you know, Frankie Matos and, and Michael Pormutter who like took my music and gave it that extra layer of different instruments, both done live. Yeah. Adding texture to my music, which like the only thing that I really think about when I'm writing is probably harmonies. Like there's mm-hmm. just not a part of my brain that thinks of like, well, what are the drums going to sound like? Or like, what are the, like so much of my songwriting and who I am as a songwriter is just so much focused on 
the words and the story and the chords and the harmonies um, that I, I sometimes kind of tune out that other stuff. Um, right. But I also really hadn't had any experience to pull from. Like it really is only in the last year or two that I'm even playing with a consistent band from maybe a gig to gig or show to show. Um, right. And so maybe like not even hearing that there's a, one of my favorite movies is called begin again. Um, it's with like Mark Ruffalo and, and Kira Knightley and, um, Adam Levine from, um, from Maroon five. And there's a scene where she's playing at the open mic at the bar and Mark Ruffalo comes in and he's a little drunk, but he's a producer. And in the scene, she's just up there strumming the guitar to this song. And in his mind, like the piano keys are starting to play and, you know, the drums you can hear in the background and the strings are like getting picked up almost like by, you know, like an imaginary player, like playing it for her song. And like, I feel like I never had that, like, knowing like where to go with that. Yeah. That wasn't in your wheelhouse. Right. No. So I really love being collaborative with my music. Um, like I said, I worked with Frankie and he helped like shape my soundscapes for some of my songs as well as just like speaking with friends and, and working with Bill and Delaney, um, particularly them in the most recent record. Like, you know, Bill and I had some conversations, but he was the one that like put the, you know, instruments and the sounds to like, you know, what is ethereal going to sound like? Like what is, you know, folky going to sound like? So mm-hmm. I definitely am collaborative. I'm open to trying new things uh, and working with people. Like, and just as much as like my song is a reflection of myself, I really am excited about the idea of like a new EP or a new album being like a project that I get to work on with all of my friends, you know, something that we do together. What's interesting and, and a couple of things I pulled out from, what you're saying is one being open to that collaborative influence. The other thing that kind of strikes me is, you know, I think about artists who've been around for a while and they, it's not something that happens overnight is they create their sound, you know, like, you know, uh, a Mark Knopfler from dire straits through, through the way he plays, plays his instrument or Lady Gaga or, or, you know, Tony Bennett. And, and you can recognize that, that they have a style in their sound but they're always changing, you know, on, on, on top of that, which I, I find interesting. And then what I, I think is really a big benefit is having a, a producer in the studio, whether it's the person who's mi- mixing your album and saying, hey, I want to add this flavor in and you being open to it because it's something you may not have even thought about, you know. And, and uh, you know, talking to Mike Nugent, uh, I was over his house the other day and he was he's working with this lady, a 90 year old lady uh, who uh writes music and her daughter encouraged her to put her songs out and get them recorded. So he's working on this project. I love that. It was so cool. And he goes, look, I'm going to tell you what I was given. And he had this 90 year old lady playing uh, an out of tune piano out of time and the daughter singing along with them. I'm like, okay, that's challenging. And what they produced in the studio was amazing. It was, you know, it almost not recognizable. And that's the value of having like a Bill Heifner and and other influences to kind of mold your clay a little bit, you know what I mean? Which is, and the fact that you're open to it, that's great. You know, that's, that's just going to make you grow as an artist in my opinion, my humble opinion. I think one of the really helpful parts of it too, is that especially like in the bell curves, I I'm the rhythm guitarist. I like acoustic guitar is my like, I don't do the fancy finger picking stuff. I, you know, you give me a beat and you give me a strum and I can be consistent. And I really think that 
especially listening to artists like Matt Nathanson and like Brandy Carlisle and, um, you know, Laurie McKenna, like people that, that really use their instrument. Like, I feel like I use rhythm in a way, like I, when I'm on stage, I don't stop moving. Like there's a, there's a rhythmic part to what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very expressive with my voice, but also just with like my body and my instrument. And mm-hmm. Frank said to me when he was uh, working on the production and arrangement for um, these moments EP was like, he's like, honestly, like some of the like percussion bits, you know, whether it was the snare or whether it was like with the brushes, he's like, you've almost kind of like built them for me because I'm just like emphasizing them and I'm highlighting them because so much of what you're doing is already in your hand. I know like another challenge that I've been facing is almost kind of now like pulling that apart and almost like maybe you're taking a step back from the guitar to like, you know, widen out the sound and like fill up the space, um, you know, flesh it all out and kind of give it to other instruments and just trying out new stuff. <laughs> That's great. That, that sounds like such a great adventure. I mean, to be honest with you, you talked about your instrument, but you have two instruments. You have your voice. Well, you have three, your voice, your body, your movement uh, and your guitar. And then everything else is kind of filling, filling in, uh, your, your instrument, the the voice your voice instrument is absolutely superb and that's you. Uh, you know i keep on going back to cuz i really i really listen to you for like a few hours you know like really kind of try to digest your music and um you know i could take a, a 10 hour drive and listen to your music it was you know i'd be hearing a lot of songs over and over again but no but uh <laughs> well i got 100 you listen to you got a 100 yeah. <laughs> So you got a catalog that you got to get out there, which I I, th- I think is great. And thank thank you for those insights on on how you, the muse and stuff like that. And um, you know you're so uh, don't take this the wrong way. You're so new at this as as far as you know, uh, 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 2017, 2018, 2019. As far as these different collaborations, it's really refreshing for me to hear that and your success uh, at this point and how you're approaching it. And I keep on going back, man, Long Island is a wellspring of talent that has yet to be discovered. And, uh, and it's, it's a great place, but, um, why don't we do this? Um, and tell me about, uh, the last song that we're going to talk about, uh, a little bit more, and then we'll listen to that song. Sure. So I had gone to a conference I believe is up on the North shore. It was around the time of Martin Luther King day and they had set up a whole conference to um, bring to the stage, the unheard voices of um, people of color and um, you know, young voters, um, climate change, making changes in our environment and having sustainable resources and energy. Um, And there was a couple speakers that had had, been set to 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 like speakers had been set to speak okay my words are kind of falling apart now um, and this is a college, this is a college student <laughs> I, I i was staying in the the waiting room beforehand i said i write all the songs so like the songs do the speaking for me i usually <laughs> make very concise like one-liners about what all my songs are but anyway i was at this conference and uh um you know like like the what what's our better going to look like, especially um, right before 2020. And it just became more pertinent as we were recording it. Um, Cause I started actually recording in September of 2020, the love on our lips record mm. and this particular song, but I actually had written it in 2019 actually around the time of actually, I guess it was 
before pandemic, but it was still 2020, but it was before everything kind of happened. Um, right. And, you know, we're talking about our world and we're talking about our environment and we're talking about our planet and we're talking about all these young people who have a voice. And, you know, some of the lines in that song are like, you know, they say we're too soft. You know, they say we're too young that all the heavy lifting's already been done. But I think what lies ahead requires so much more. And the emphasis of the song is more spirit, love and empathy than the world has seen before, because I truly believe that the only way that we're going to make this world better and the only way that we're going to, um, you know, be able to take care of each other is, is showing spirit to, to, to take action and um, love for one en- for each other and one another and our neighbors, no matter who they are, and just empathy for other people in the world that are going through life just as you are. And, you know, everybody has their own journey. And especially with the world we live in now, like with the Black Lives Matter movement, with um, you know, what we're doing, what we're talking about now with um, abortion rights and, you know, women's reproductive health. Like, I feel like so much of this, if we just kind of take a second and step into somebody else's shoes and to, um, you know, like think about women, think about people of color, think about people that are less privileged than us. And, and like, in order to see them, we have to see ourselves and what, you know, we have privilege too, and really break that apart. And recognize who we are and what we have and look at our system and say, well, what is who's benefiting from this? And how do we how do we stop that? And how do we like take action to try and make it better? So that was a bit of a tangent. I just got out of a social justice class for my no, no, um, you, you, you bring out you bring out phenomenal points. And that's singer songwriters like yourself who are daring to tackle social justice issues that many celebrities are afraid to tackle to offend their audiences. And it's the most important thing in the world to me. You know, I was thinking about when you're saying, you know, talking about how bad is it going to be? And, and you know, I, what jumped into my mind, is this as good as it gets? The reciprocal is, is this as bad as it going to get? Or is it going to get worse? And that's a call to action. And I think that what happens to us, you know, hey, if, if you pray for courage, you're going to be given suffering so that you can have courage to tackle things. If you're going to uh, give, uh, look, you're going to pray for empathy, you're going to be given opportunities to walk in somebody else's shoes. If you're open to it and change your perspective, the whole thing is just changing your perspective and being in uh, the fellow human's condition. Say, I have an idea of what you're going through, and there's that empathy. And the other thing is, here, I'm getting back on the soapbox again, it's really counting our blessings. When you count your blessings, then you're open to see, oh, my God, I've got a good, oh, my God, this could be going away based on politics and what's happening and, and what have you. And guess what? That's a call to action. And I believe that's where songwriters and music and that therapy, let's say therapy, is a call to action to uh, say, yeah, get off your ass and, and, and don't complain about it. Do something about it. Um, exactly. You know, love, love is on our lips, right? Uh, but it, love is in our action as, as well. So, um, boy, that's twice I'm on the pulpit already. Man, this is going to be a good episode. But you, you <laughs> nailed it on the head. And that was like, that was the theme for this album. Like each piece that mm. you're listening to is a perspective of falling in love, losing love, losing yourself, you know, healing, loving yourself. And then that last song, which I really wanted to end on uh, for your listeners was, you know, where do we go from here? And, um, you know, 
looking outward and, um, you know, looking to other people and like, where can I, you know, where can I not, I mean, help is kind of like the wrong word, but. Um, where can you make an impact? I have a daughter who's exactly your age and in her mindset, it's not how much money I'm going to make. Yeah. I need to survive, but where am I going to have the best impact? And I, like I took a step back and it's like, Oh my God. Hey, let's take a listen to a little bit more and we'll be right back after that. Thanks so much. Sorry to say it, but the world's a mess by the time it's her turn. There will be nothing left. The future's in our hands. They say it's up to you. But where do we begin? What can we actually do? Hey, everybody, we're back with Ann O'Rourke, and I can see Ann on my webcam, and I noticed a tattoo that resembles something from your album, so tell us about it. Um, so there's a there's a, a white daisy on my arm, and um, 
actually on these moments, the song um, with me is actually a memory of my Nana, who I have the mm. tattoo for. And um, I'm really bad with like rings and jewelry. And so when it came time to like, you know, my mom would put flowers in the house or, you know, if they would get a necklace with a daisy on it because it was her favorite flower. Um, I had a harder time thinking of like, how am I going to remember to like put this on every day or like look at this every day or something like that. So I wanted something a bit more concrete and permanent. So um, I actually, this was one of my like first like big tattoos. And um, when it was coming time to create my logo for um, just kind of revamping because I was doing Your more brand. shows, we were getting more merch, kind of doing some branding. Um, my friend Melissa um, Skimbody and I were talking, Melissa Marie Imagery. We were talking and she's like, you know, I'm just throwing out ideas. Like, what about this? What about that? And then my tattoo came up and my Nana. And so actually in memory of, of her, there's now daisies in all of my branding. Um, and actually the color choice to choose like a red, like I actually, I don't know if you saw at the gig, but my, um, merch box is a bright red. Um, okay. that's actually in memory of my great aunt Riri, who is my Nana's sister. Um, and she just has like, she had her favorite flowers were poppies and she would just have red. She had this big red, like bright red upright piano in the garage when I was a kid. I guess at some point it had been in the house. And I always, that's like my goal. Like I want a big red upright piano in like wherever I'm going to be living. Um, But just to have, and even like my book that all my songs go in, like it's red. Um, So I'm I'm finding ways of keeping my family with me and my music and then finding ways to share their stories. That's wonderful. That's great. What a great way to bookend uh, a wonderful episode. Uh, you know, I really appreciate your time. You, tell us about what you got coming up. So um, I am kind of like in crunch time right now because I have the end of the school year coming with my students. And I am also now the student and finishing up my summer sessions. So I'm taking a bit of a backseat this summer to take care of my studies. But I will be out on the scene with the bell curves. We're actually going to be playing probably much later than this episode airs. So we'll be um, playing in Amityville tomorrow, but it's mid-June, so probably won't be airing till later. Um, but we do have our album release party coming up, actually out at Green Hill Kitchen in Greenport with um, Julia King on June 24th. And then um, we have a couple gigs over the summer, but for my stuff personally, I will be involved in the um, Pine Barrens Jam, which is right. one of the only um, local music festivals of Suffolk County um, headed by Nick Balzano and a bunch of amazing, incredible people. And I'm working with um, Kathy Meinhold to actually put together a kid corner. So we'll be doing crafts and music for uh, families. So if you're out there and you want to bring your family and you want to go listen to the awesome singer songwriters at all the acoustic stages and the big band stage, but you want something for your kids, uh, Kathy and I are here. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, I tell you what came into my mind, you put your music where your mouth is in, in what you do, which is, I mean, a real blessing. It's really kind of cool. And you're thinking about the kids, which is, which is great too. I mean, you need the little crayon table, you know, or the and that's what I will be the little crayon table, <laughs> little crayon. August 20th, <laughs> Blue Point Brewery. So I end my podcast this way. And I've, I've said this a lot and it really rings true to me in that, uh, you know, we can account for what we have in our bank accounts and what we own. We can never account for the amount of time we have left in our lives. And the fact, and that you gave me uh, more than an hour 
of your time and your music and your art. I, it's a real blessing, and I thank you for it. So uh, I look forward to having you back on the podcast, you know, when you're rich and famous, and you can remember, you know, the poor old guy that, uh, you know, you chatted with on a Tuesday night. But uh, it was a real pleasure, really, real pleasure to get to know you and your music. So. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this platform and space uh, and for sharing your stories as well. So thank you. I really appreciate it. You got it in. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy. Keep your spirits high and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.